to this message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Well, good morning, good morning, good morning. I want to kudos uh, our salute to our veterans. Thank you so much for your service. Super appreciate it. Good to see everybody. I'm in the middle of my, this is my fun month, I call it. I got a couple hunting trips this month, go back to Mississippi, see my son. So this is my play month, and uh, I'm right in the middle of it. Uh, glad I was able to get over here. Uh, I go pheasant hunting every year and been going the last few years up to South Dakota, specifically Redfield, South Dakota, a little town of 2,000 people. Uh, I got a picture. I got my grandkids. Uh, it is totally okay in Redfield, South Dakota to be on Main Street uh, holding a pheasant up. Totally okay. I had no problem with that. Uh, what I like, besides the, the hunting aspect of the small towns, you don't have to try to make a decision and have arguments on, where are we going to eat tonight? Because there's only two restaurants. <laughs> You've got Leo's Good Food. That's where you go for breakfast. Killer breakfast, by the way. And then at night, you go to La Cabana. And uh, believe it or not, a pretty good Mexican uh, restaurant in the middle of South Dakota. And so uh, it's real simple. Leo's in the morning, La Cabana at night. And you do it for three straight nights. No big deal. Can anybody here besides me eat Mexican food three straight, uh, three straight days? Is that a problem for anybody? If it is, you need to repent, give your life to Jesus. I love simple things. I think the older I get, the more simple I want it. And I love Jesus because of many things, but because of his simplicity. He just cut through all the religious jargon when he was on the earth and just made it so understandable to the normal, everyday person like me and like you. Uh, in fact, he said things like this. He said, you must be born again. I mean, how simple is that to understand that if you're going to have a relationship with God, you need to be a new you. If you want a new you, then you have to become a whole different person spiritually. And he just made it so simple. Receive me and you'll become a new creation. Born again. I can understand that. He said things like, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I get that. Unless I'm connected to the Lord every day, I, I can't produce his life in me. It'll be just old Doug Loman going out. But if I stay connected to the Lord, if I spend time with him in the morning and just draw upon him, his life will be going through me. I get that. Totally get that. Now, in explaining what our purpose in life is and our role in society as Christians, he also uses simple illustrations to make it known. If you're here today... And maybe you're confused about your faith. You're confused about God's purpose for your life. You're not sure, okay, I'm a Christian. What do I do now? Am I doing what I should be doing? And, and it's, it's causing you to lose your joy. This message is going to help you get back on track. It's a simple message, but it's just going to just really clarify a lot of confusion, I believe, for some of you. How many of you know what a social influencer is? 
on the, on the internet. Uh, maybe some of the older folks don't know. I've got some young people on our staff there in Vegas, and they keep me abreast and all this stuff. A social influencer is someone who contracts with companies to promote their services. They have to have typically between 10,000 and 100,000 followers. And uh, if they do, if they have 100,000 followers, they can earn up to $100,000 a year promoting uh, products. Now, we are to be spiritual influencers for the Lord. And that's, that's really one of the, the purposes of our life. We're to influence people for Jesus Christ, that they'd want to, to buy his services, give their life to him. And the Bible gives three clear ways that we are to influence people. One of them, it says, we're to be salt. And I got a picture of a salt shaker. You're to be a little salt shaker. You're to go around and just, just dump out uh, your influence. Uh, Matthew 5.13 says that you are the salt of the earth. What does salt do? Well, it flavors food. Oh my gosh, my wife, and, and she gets on to me, but she can't get on to me too hard yet because my numbers are all good. Whenever I get my physical, all my numbers are great. But she says, my gosh, you have a lot of salt. Do you need that much salt? And, and I said, yes, I need more salt, actually. Uh, how many of you watch that uh, outdoor show, reality show, Alone? Anybody watch that? I, I love that show. Uh, they throw you on an island, and uh, basically they get, let you pick 15 items, and who can survive the longest wins. Uh, and one of the items I saw, and I only saw one person take it, but you can get a block of Himalayan salt to go out there. Because I, I, to me, that would be a no-brainer. I would, In fact, I'd say, can I get two? I'll take two of those, and I'll get 13 others I'll pick from. Because you end up eating just like moss in squirrel, in rats and stuff, and salt, you know, can, can cover a multitude of sins. Just dump a bunch of salt on it and anything will taste good. Salt also preserves food, doesn't it? See, we are to flavor this world. We're to preserve this world by our righteous living. That's one of the purposes that we are to have as far as influencing people for the Lord. Now, we're also, the Bible says, we're to be fragrant. We're to be an aroma. 2 Corinthians 2.15 says that we are a fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. So we're putting off an odor both to believers and to unbelievers. To unbelievers, to those who are adamantly opposed to Christianity, we are a pungent odor in their nostrils. They don't want to smell us. They try to avoid us, actually. Kind of like what I do on my daily walk at this certain path I have in Las Vegas. It's one of those paths where they have like the little doggy bags. When you walk your dog, you can take the bag and take his poop and bag it up, and then you dump it in like a little dumpster right there. Well, some people obviously aren't tying it off good enough because in the summertime when it's 100 and gazillion degrees in Vegas, when, when I walk by there, uh, all of a sudden, if I get too close, I go, whoa. And so I found myself, uh, as I approach one of those things, by habit now, I just, just kind of just do this big circle around them and then just keep, get back on the path. Why? Because the pungent odor, I, I want to avoid it. See, to those who don't want God, to the skeptic, you're in a pungent odor. Your lifestyle, don't take it personal. It's just the Jesus who lives inside you that they're trying to avoid. It's not you. Actually, take it as a compliment. But to those who are being drawn by the Lord, your fragrance is like the fragrance of the perfume that my wife wears. 
My wife seriously gets compliments at least a couple times a month. She'll be in a store and the, the checker will say, what, what is that perfume you have? It smells so good. And uh, my wife says it's a certain brand, which, by the way, it's a knockoff of this major brand. I think she spent, it used to spend $10 on it before inflation, and now it's probably $300. Uh, but it was like a real knockoff. And uh, people are, oh, that smells so good. And they, they want to be around there. Hopefully, for those that are being drawn to the Lord, that's what we are to them. But there's one more metaphor that Jesus uses, and that's the one that I want to focus on for the rest of our time today. And that is... We're to be light. We're to be light. Matthew 5, 14. You are a light. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Now, let me give you some context in order to fully understand this verse. Colossians 1, 13 says, For he rescued us from the domain of darkness. What is a domain? It's an environment that is uh, where there's an influence there, where there's a worldview there, where there's somebody who is, who is uh, in charge there and espousing his views. He rescued us from that environment, and he transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Our lifestyle, our words, our actions, they're to act as flashlights, lighthouses, to those who are living in darkness and who want to get out. We're, we're to be able to show them there's a different way to live. You don't have to live this way. Let, let me show you by how I live and by the words that I say to you that there's another way to look at life. There's another way to live your life. Did you read about the police officers who were called there was a report of somebody in a backyard yelling for help. And so they beelined down there, sirens uh, blaring, and pulled up there and began to walk towards where the uh, incident was reported. And they could hear somebody yelling, help, help, help. And the closer they got, help, help, help. <clears throat> Looked around and got real close, but didn't see anybody. Looked out in the meadow and all they saw was a goat. And the goat was, was, was making a sound in distress. Help! Help! <clears throat> it was a goat. They got called to a goat. Well, there's a bunch of goats out there. Maybe you are married. No, I can say not married to one. <laughs> there's a lot of people out there who are crying for help. And if you listen real closely, you can hear the cries and we have the opportunity by our lifestyle and by our words to show them that, hey, you don't have to live this way. There's hope for you. Now, the Bible has much to say about being light, but I'm just going to just give you five ways in the time that we have left. Here, here's five ways that you can cast light for the Lord. Number one, by doing good works. Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Now, to be clear, we're not saved by good works. You're, you're, you could leave here today if you're not saved. No, I'm going to go out after this message. I'm just going to go out and I'm going to, you know, give some money to a homeless person. And, okay, God, there I did. My, my good outweighed my bad today, so I guess I'm good with you. No, you're not saved by good works. You're saved for good works. 
Here's a list of some of the good works that the Bible talks about. Giving to the poor. Giving to the poor. James 2, 14 through 17. What use of it is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but he has no works, can that faith save him? If a brother or sister was out food and clothing and need a daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for the body, what use is that? Even so, if it has no works, is dead, faith is, being by itself. You show your faith by your works, and one of the ways you show that is by helping the poor. Now, we have a lot of homeless in Las Vegas, got a lot here in Bakersfield as well. Very rarely do I ever give money to the homeless. Very rarely. Why? Because most of them are, are I don't want to enable them. I want to help them, but I want to enable them. Most of them are there because of, of drugs, some because of mental illness. I will never, I think I've shared this with you before, I will never turn down anybody if they're asking for food. I used to go up and if somebody's asking for money, I said, would you like some food? Yeah. And I buy food and then I pull around the block and their food's still sitting there. They don't even eat it. But if somebody asks me specifically, I'm hungry, I will stop what I'm doing and get them food. But in this case, I was coming home and I saw this man on the corner with a sign. He just, he didn't look like he fit. He wasn't your prototypical homeless person on the corner. And, and, uh, and so again, God's providence, the light uh, was red. And so I said, hey, come on over. I said, Here, here's a little bit of money. I said, what are you doing out here, man? He goes, ah, man, I just, I, I fell back into my drink. And I said, man, so you don't belong here. And so I'm going to pray. What's your name? And you give me a name. I'm going to pray for you. And, and so, so I, I gave him money. I, I think the key is concerning those types of things, money to homeless and what you do with your money, you got to listen to the Holy Spirit. We've got a saying uh, in, in Vegas, I don't they probably have it here with the staff, is that we have policy for the Vegas church as far as giving money and how we do things. But that policy serves us. We don't serve the policy. If we want to waive that policy at any time, we can. If the Holy Spirit speaks to our hearts and says, hey, you know what, this, we don't typically do this, but we feel like the Lord is prompting us and we feel like the Lord is directing us, we're going to do this. So, so I have a policy. I don't give money to the homeless, but I'm always open to the Holy Spirit directing me. Visiting the sick is another way that you can care for people and do good works. Matthew 25, 36 says, I was sick and you visited me. Don't ever underestimate the visiting of someone who is sick in the hospital, a, a text of concern for someone, a meal delivered at the right time. That is powerful. That made such an effect for people and such a good impression on the Lord. I'll never forget when my brother Greg passed away years ago. Uh, when we were, we were uh, in Vegas, we came over here, and, of course, we were just distraught and, you know, not even thinking about food, but yet your body's hungry. And I'll never forget uh, Tammy Garrett, who attends church here, her and Randy, longtime attenders here. She brought over some food. I think it was from Mossman's and some of that good deep pit uh, food and that wonderful cake that they have and, and brought it over uh, to our family. And, and uh, it, it, just, it, was, it was just a gesture of kindness. It was the fact that, that we were being thought of at a time where our family was just so broken. And it had such an impact. I still remember that to today. And so don't ever underestimate those things, of uh, doing those things for somebody, those good works. Uh, feeding the hungry. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Uh, yesterday, uh, what's today? Sunday, yeah, yesterday, or I can't remember if it was yesterday, Saturday before, we give away at the Vegas uh, on church, literally on Saturday once a month, we give away about four tons of food. 
we have a food bank there that delivers on a Friday pallets and pallets and pallets and pallets of food. And we've got a gal over there who, she is super organized. We'll have 200 cars uh, come through and we've got it set up where they just kind of drive through. We stop and we give them a thing of food. Uh, we have a, a prayer thing if they want to get out and pray, but we've got a smooth operation over there and we give out food. And especially with the cost of food these days, it is such a blessing uh, to these families. Uh, next way to shine for the Lord is by exposing the deeds of darkness. What do I mean by that? Ephesians 5, 11 through 13 helps us. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it's disgraceful even to speak of the things which are done by them in secret. But all things become visible when they're exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. This is primarily done exposing darkness by avoiding certain behaviors and refraining from certain language. You don't have to stand on a soapbox uh, at the Thanksgiving table this year and just tell people, you know, hey, I'm, I don't want any raunchy language and I don't want any, uh, you know, just bad attitudes here. You don't have to do that. All you have to do is just don't participate in some of the language, don't participate in some of the actions at work, and just live your life uncompromising. And by doing that, you act as a light. <clears throat> it will make those who are participating in those things uncomfortable. You may become unpopular, and you have to be okay with that. You have to understand you're not going to be a part of the in crowd in your family, at your work, at school. You're not going to. If you're living your life the way that you should, you're not going to. You're going to feel like you're a lone ranger a lot of the time. You have to accept that. You have to understand that's just how it goes. If you want to be accepted by everybody, then just compromise and be lukewarm and everybody will like you and you'll be, you'll be loved by the world. But if you're going to live holy, you're, you're going to be going it alone. A lot. Some it will draw to the light. Those that are, that are interested in the things of God, you'll be like a, a porch light, and they'll be like a mothman. They're just drawn to it. They'll want to talk to you about God. You invite them to church. and For others, it's going to anger some. We already talked about that a lot. I like this quote. It says that lamps do not talk, but they do shine. I think sometimes we need to just shine before we talk. Let, let them see your life. Let them observe how you live. And then by doing that, that kind of gives you the right to speak into their life. I don't know about you, but man, I, the thing that I'm struggling with here in the last couple of years, really since COVID, and it's almost embarrassing to admit as a pastor, but struggling with just like the hopelessness of this world, like you know, this world so far gone. People don't want God. They don't want God, and you know what, Lord, just come back, and you know, it's we're done here. We've we've so messed up things. Just just you know, take us out and do what you're going to do with the world. And I just I, I find myself giving up and giving in to despair. But I've got to remember this. I love this quote. This quote has really helped me. Uh, William Farrar, this cl English cleric, he said, "I am only one, but I am one. I cannot do everything." but I can do something. What I can do, I ought to do. And what I ought to do by the grace of God, I will do. And see, you can shine and you can be salt and you can be light. You, you can do all those things. And, and it doesn't matter what, what 
the world's doing, you can do those things. And so that's my focus here recently. I'm going to shine. I'm going to be light. I want to be an influencer for the Lord. One person can change things. Daniel. Didn't he change things? Joseph. Dorcas. You say, who's Dorcas? She was that little lady in the book of Acts. Well, what did she do? Did she preach big sermons? Did, was she an evangelist? No, she made underwear. Yeah. And when she died, they came to Peter and said, oh, Dorcas has died. We need her. Oh, please come and pray her back to life. And I don't know, because, you know, they were low on underwear or, or she, whatever the case may be. And, and they went back there and prayed her back to life. One person can do a lot, can change things. Another way to be light is by guarding your eyes. If you want to live a, a light lifestyle, you have to guard your eyes. 11, uh, Luke eleven thirty four. The eye is the lamp of the body. When your eye is clear, your whole body also is full of light. But when it is bad, your body also is full of darkness. Pornography. I know we talk about a lot in the pulpit, in the valley churches. It's the spiritual cancer of America. Predominantly among men, but also some women. It's killing marriages. It's enslaving young people. Oh, I'm, I'm oh, I, so mad at the devil and the world with all the stuff and the access these kids have on their phones to that stuff. It causes many believers to live in defeat and shame. They want to do right, and they find themselves drawn to it, and, and they stumble, and they never can be the Christians that they want to be. It's the driving force behind rape, behind many murders, behind child molestation. I saw this post last month, and I thought of this issue of pornography. Here's the post, and we got a slide for you. David defeated, I think we got a slide, maybe I didn't give it to him. David defeated Goliath, but lost to Bathsheba. Think about that. David defeated this nearly nine-foot-tall giant, but he lost to beautiful Bathsheba. Our real giants are the desires we haven't killed yet. Those are the real giants, not, not the big one. It's, it's those little ones in secret, those desires that we haven't killed yet. And men, and maybe some women, if you haven't killed pornography yet, it will eventually kill you. It'll kill everything that you love. It'll kill your marriage. It'll kill your relationship with your kids. It'll kill your walk with the Lord. You better deal with it. You better kill it before it kills you. Fourthly, we can be a light by living above reproach. Philippians 2, 14, 15. Do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you will prove yourselves to be blameless and innocent children of God above reproach in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you appear as lights in the world. <clears throat> above reproach. A reproach is something that is a stain. It's like, it's like you, you have this nice white shirt and all of a sudden, you know, you, you accidentally you take a sip of, of grape juice or, or something and it just kind of oop, dribbles down and all of a sudden, boom. Now that white shirt now has a stain. And as you go out there, people don't notice all the white. What they notice? They notice the little stain. That's a reproach. 
It's something that takes away the beauty. It takes away the integrity. It takes away from the message that you're wanting to promote. And unfortunately, many Christians, they live their lives with reproaches. In fact, they live their life like I follow a food recipe. Vicky goes to bed. I think I've told you this about 8 o'clock. I turn on YouTube, and, and I'm, I'm drawn to these, these recipes. I'm drawn to these foods I like because I'm hungry at night. I don't eat a whole lot for dinners, I'm, and so I'm like sitting there hungry, and so, oh, my gosh, that soup looks good. And, and uh, oh, my goodness, that, that chicken, I've never seen that. And so I tried one of these recipes. I look, oh, i got to have that. I'm going to make this recipe. i make this chicken I saw. And so I, I went to make it and then said, well, I don't have this ingredient, but nah, I don't need that. Or I don't have this flavor. Well, I'll, I'll kind of add this, kind of the same flavor. And so, so I'm leaving some stuff out. I'm adding some stuff in. And, and I cooked it, and it was good, but I don't think it probably tasted like what I thought it was going to taste. Because Why? Because I didn't put all the ingredients in. I didn't follow the recipe. I came up with kind of a hybrid of what it was intended to be. And that's what a lot of Christians do. Instead of following the recipe of the Bible, here's how you're supposed to live. I'm going to do everything it says. I'm going to stay away from everything I'm not supposed to be doing. Instead, they kind of just, well, I'm not going to add this. I'm going to take away from that. And they form their own kind of hybrid Christianity that really isn't like the original. And that's a reproach. And why do they do that? Why do we do that? Because we don't want to give up that sin, pure and simple. I just don't want to give that thing up. So I got to somehow justify it. I got to some, somehow work around it. That doesn't cast light for the Lord in the proper way. Lastly, here's the last way. By refusing to compromise, you can be light. By refusing to compromise. 2 Corinthians 6.14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Let me do something here. Young man right there in the front row. How old are you? Come up. I'm going to use you for something. Come on up. Give him a hand as he comes up. You stand right there. One more step. One more step. Actually, one back. Tell everybody your name. Noah. All right, Noah. Great name, by the way. All right. All right, Noah, here's the deal. We're going to have a contest, okay? I don't think that you can pull me down from those stairs. In fact, drop down one more. I'm going to make it easier for you. Okay? I think I'm stronger than you. I don't, I, don't think, I don't think you can pull me down, okay? So I want you to try your best to pull me down, okay? So I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold myself here, okay? Now, you look strong. I want you to pull as hard as you can. You try to pull me off this thing. Okay, you ready? Hard. Both hands. Okay, hold on, Noah. You're stronger than I thought. <laughs> you won. Congratulations. Give Noah a hand. Thank you, Noah. Why was Noah able to do that? Because he was in a position where he was in the favorable position. And see, here's what happens sometimes. We think that we can get in that situation and we can pull Noah up. See, I, I couldn't have pulled Noah up. Even though I weighed more, I couldn't pull him up because if, I'm going against gravity. But even though he's smaller, he was able to pull me down. And that's what Christians 
do all the time. That's where they fail. They think, I'm going to get around a bunch of unbelievers, and I'm going to just, I'm going to pull them up. I'm going to pull them up to the Lord. They don't realize that, man, you're not going to pull them up. They're going to pull you down. They outnumber you. You're in their environment. They're stronger than you in that environment. So if you're, if you're in that mindset of, man, I, I wonder, why do I keep falling? Well, maybe it's because you're just around a bunch of unbelievers. You, you need to cut off some of those relationships, cut off the closest. I'm not saying just completely, you know, uh, distance yourself from any unbelievers, but there are certain relationships that are not good for you that you need to end. Okay, I, I, I need to end here. Let me end here. I'm going to ask you to, to do something. I'm going to ask you to close your eyes. Play with me. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to really to use your imagination here. I want you to imagine yourself being transported back in time 2,000 years. 2,000 years, you're in Jerusalem. You keep hearing of this man who's just set that area on fire. He's a rabbi, but he speaks as like no other rabbi. People come back and say, you've got to hear him. You've got to hear him. You've got, you've, you've got to hear him. We've never heard words like this. We've never heard anybody talk about God in these terms. And all of a sudden you come there and you see in this hillside thousands, thousands of people and you find yourself a seat and you sit down there and, and all of a sudden this man comes out and he's, he's not anything out of the ordinary. He's just a man. And he comes out and he stands up on a makeshift pulpit and he begins to talk. And here's the first thing that he says. He says, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You're the light of the world. You can open your eyes. You're the light of the world. You're shining in a dark, dark world, the world that's getting darker and darker. You have a way out. You know the person who can lead people out. You have purpose. I started off my message by saying, if, if you're here and you don't have purpose, you have purpose. You're to shine for him by all the ways that we just talked about. That's your purpose in life, is to be salt, is to be light, is to be an aroma. You're the light of the world. So you have purpose. You are a blessing to those in your family, to your workplace, to your friends, to your family, as you live holy, as you live uncompromising, as you live loving, as you live boldly, as you live courageous, you're the light of the world. You, you found a purpose for living. You've got it. That's it. You've got it. 
Doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter if you're single or married. You got it. You've got the purpose. But here's the problem. Here's the problem. And you can look up. Here's the problem. Very often in this world, we get discouraged. We get sidetracked. That sin that the book of Hebrews says that can so easily entangle us, we get caught up in it again. We thought, we thought we were done with it. We find ourselves back in it again. We get distracted. And instead of shining like this, instead, our light becomes this. Oh, we're saved. You're saved. But you're not as bright as you once were. Very little light coming out of you. Very little influence that you have. Sometimes it's even hard to tell the difference between you and those who don't know Jesus. Really hard to tell sometimes. But here's the thing. Here's the wonderful thing about God. Here's the hope that you have today. You may have came in like this, or maybe you came in and you have no light. You're not even saved. You're not born again. But something is happening inside of you, just like it happened 2,000 years ago to many of those people in that hillside in Jerusalem where they heard something that just, just came alive inside of them. They said, this is it. This is real. I don't understand it all, but there's something taking place inside of me. You can either be completely in the dark or you can be, just be barely shining because of discouragement, compromise, whatever else has caused you to lose your shine. You may have come in like this, but today you can leave like this. You can leave like this again. You can bring the lights up, guys. Thank you. All it takes... All it takes is confession and repentance. The one-two punch. I confess my sins. Lord, I'm not living how I should be living. Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I repent. I'm going to stop doing those things. Oh, help. Give me strength, God, to help me do those things. Confession and repentance. It gets you right back in a good place with God. That's all it takes. Confession and repentance. It's that simple. It's that simple. And I'm going to give you a chance to do that today. I'm going to ask that our prayer team come up here. I'm going to give you a chance today to make a decision. Maybe some of you just, I, I want to live that way. I want to live radical. I, I want to be light. I, I, I want to just embrace that today. I'm going to give you a chance to do that. So bow your heads if you would. Father, I pray for those Christians that are here today, God, that are saying, I'm not shining the way that I believe I'm supposed to shine. Lord, I want to shine that way. So today, God, I pray that you just move upon the hearts of people. And if you're here today and you're saying, oh, I, I, I'm not living radical. I once did, but I didn't. I want you just to just, just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Father God, I confess my sin. I'm not being the light I should be. Please forgive me. And today, I commit to being the type of Christian that I know I should be, living bright and living boldly. Thank you, God. Thank you. 
Now, there's a second group I want to pray with. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've never at any time acknowledged that, hey, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I don't have to convince you of your sin. I'm sure you're well aware of your sin. There's a way for you to have a relationship with God. There's a way for you to be born again. I use that term at the beginning. To have a whole new you with new power, new desires, strength to be free from that thing that's controlling you, that's probably ruining your life. All you have to do is just confess your sin, and then you need to acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. He did. That's why he came, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever would believe in him wouldn't perish, but they would have everlasting life. That's why he came. He died for you so that you could come alive in him. And so if you want to receive the Lord today, I'm going to say a simple prayer with you. All you have to do is say these words. Just say uh, in your heart, in your mouth, say, Father God, I believe that Jesus died for my sins. I receive him as my Lord and Savior. Please forgive me. I give you my life today. Come in me. And I turn things over to you today. Amen. And amen. We've got people up here. If you need a packet up here, we've got a new believers packet. Come up here and get those packets. Come up and get prayer. It's always great to see you. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you next time. Take care. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our Lord.